Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Few Choice Words. I'm Chantelle Davidson, your host, and today I'm joined by a very lovely guest, Karen Gibb from Mind Marvels. Karen, welcome. Thank you for having me, Chantelle. It's lovely. <laughs> Thank you for being here. So today we're going to talk about a few different things, but primarily we're going to be focusing on anxiety, which is obviously really important to what you guys do at Mind Marvels. You're going to explain a little bit more about that in a second. But it's also very close to both of our hearts personally, too. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Anxiety is one of those topics that I've been sort of um, dreading and <laughs> looking forward to talking about for a long time on this podcast, which, as you know, and as you lovely, lovely listeners know, is all about the less glamorous side of entrepreneurship and life. And anxiety definitely plays a large part in that for me. And I know it has for you as well. Absolutely. Before we get diving into all the good stuff, do you want to explain a little bit about who you are, who you help, what My Marvels does, and how you got started? Yeah, of course. So I am Karen, as you very nicely introduced. <laughs> My business is Mind Marvels, and we work with children from the age of nursery right up to the end of primary school on their emotional well-being. So we provide calming strategies and practical tools to support uh, young people with their, their mental well-being. So I'm really, really excited, like absolutely love what I do. Um, It's just such an honour every day to be involved with these children's lives and make that real difference and perhaps give them things that we, you know, as children didn't maybe have ourselves, those calming superpowers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that. So, but yeah, that's amazing. So what what do you think are the things that you didn't have when you were young that you, you help people have now? I think mindfulness wasn't really a word that I knew growing up and I think now there's a lot more talk about mental health I think when we were younger it was maybe a bit more like man up and you know try and get on with things and be strong and lots of sort of negative uh, connotations around mental health I think now people are more willing to have those debates and have those conversations and really it's it's okay you know not not to be okay I think we're, we're a lot more willing to discuss and perhaps find strategies. I mean, the internet has just opened up a whole new world to us all, hasn't it? And, and finding help and support and, and anything that we have going on within our lives. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get started with Mind Marvels? Tell us a little bit about your background and where you came from and how this all came to be. Yeah, absolutely. So I was a teacher before and I really liked working with children. I worked um, in in care and with with children in care and also in the social work department. So it was very um, full on, you know, children with complex trauma. And Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed what I was doing, but I just felt I couldn't quite reach them emotionally. Um, I had so many other things to do day to day as a teacher. So it just meant that there was less time to concentrate on the most important topics, which were things like mental health and emotional well-being. So after a while in teaching, as much as I enjoyed it, I did start to find the admin and the sort of management side of teaching kind of really wearing me down at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. All I wanted to do was work with the the young people and and support them in in the best way that I could. And I, I didn't always feel that I was able to do that as a teacher. So I kind of came up with the idea of Mind Marvels. I did a couple of mindfulness courses and 
really tried to explore what could help make the biggest impact to young people. And I think this is where Mind Marvels came into play. I realised there wasn't anything quite like what we have out there. And that sort of implored me to essentially quit teaching and, and, and give up the day job, if you like, and, and start this weird and wacky lifestyle of entrepreneurship. <laughs> It definitely is that. So what gaps, I'm interested to know what gaps you spotted when you were teaching that led you to think that something was really missing for these kids? Because obviously, as you say, we live in a much more open and um, and kind of happy to discuss mental health world now. But, but it sounds like there was something that you still felt was missing in terms of that relationship you were able to have with the kids in terms of their mental health. So what gaps did you spot that you kind of wanted to fill with Mind Marvels? So many, so many, um, long list of things, but really importantly, that anxiety feeling, the the feeling that they're not able to do things or try new things, or they feel reluctant to want to um, learn, essentially. I think when your mental health isn't, isn't there, everything goes, you know, your ability to learn, your ability to retain information, your ability to have successful relationships with people it really just comes to that sort of standstill so I could see that the children I was teaching weren't able to form positive relationships they were feeling anxious themselves they were unable to retain information which sadly is part and parcel of having to be a teacher is is get children through exams and tests and and, and you know academically be successful so you could quite quickly see that this wasn't happening for these children and that other factors around their mental health were contributing in big ways that weren't able to support them socially, emotionally or, you know, intellectually, if you like. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because it makes you realise just how many people, given the complete absence of a focus on mental health, 20 or 30, and even certainly more than that when, you know, our parents were in school, yeah. you look at people now who as adults are successful entrepreneurs and so many of them came to it through what you would consider to be quite traditional academic failure. Like, you know, didn't follow the path of academia, didn't go to college, didn't go to university because they simply couldn't pass those tests. And in a lot of cases, you can see on reflection that these people are incredibly capable, incredibly bright, clearly very intelligent. So the the inability to pass tests must then, like you say, come down to something else. But it was something that wasn't even a consideration when I think about my dad, for example, you know, who's this brilliant entrepreneur, really creative mind. But when when it came to, you know, passing English tests or whatever, was essentially was dyslexic. So, you know, we struggled with that kind of thing. But these weren't even factors then. So it's so lovely to hear now that even in a world where these things are considerations, someone's going above and beyond to make sure that they're accounted for. Because it's one thing to say, yes, we know kids need to think about their mental health, but it's quite another to go, okay, but how are we accounting that on a day-to-day basis? Not just when crisis happens, but mm-hmm. how are we thinking about mental health in as, in as close a way as we monitor our physical health? You know, parents watch what their kids eat every day, they watch what exercise they get, all this kind of stuff, screen time. But how are we on a daily basis making sure that our kids are mentally healthy too? Absolutely. And that sounds 
it's that sort of cheesy quote of wearing like your life jacket before putting on someone else's because Mm -hmm. if you as a parent or a teacher or you know an auntie or 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 anything you know if you're not mentally ready to to look after yourself then how do we expect you to look after other people and care for them because we have to have our cup full as well and you know, you read these things and you think, oh, it sounds a bit cheesy, but there's so much truth to it because yeah. you have to model these positive behaviours to young people for them in order to, A, think it's acceptable, which of course it is, but B, for them to then model the behaviours themselves. So it's, it's really important, you know, if if you're a parent and you're feeling angry, it's like, right, mum's feeling angry right now. It's not at you, but I'm going to go and... S- Take 10 deep breaths in the corner. <laughs> right. It's so interesting as well, isn't it? Because I, I think you and I probably grew up in the same sort of era of, of people who have that have been more okay with talking about mental health. You know, certainly in the last, at least in the last sort of 20 years, it's been much more okay to talk about it. Maybe 20 is wrong, actually, maybe more like 10 or 15. But I think there's a, an interesting dynamic happening at the moment where a lot of people in our generation are breaking generational cycles of, of sort of um, mental health problems, shall we say, <laughs> that, you know, our parents, because they didn't have the resources or didn't have the, you know, the, the language to talk about it, couldn't articulate, didn't know how to articulate. And so where we've come up and are now, and now we're the adults, <laughs> terrifyingly, and, and we're kind of going, okay, how can we make sure that doesn't happen for the next generation I'm interested to know do you think that more children nowadays have anxiety and as a kind of follow-up question to that do you think it's because we're so much more cognizant of what that looks like and the symptoms and and how that shows up or do you think it's because of other factors you know modern day living everything everywhere all at once (laughs) what's your take on that that's a really interesting question. And I've I've kind of grappled with this a couple of times. I think it's more recognised, therefore there's more children that probably have it. I think COVID has obviously definitely uh, increased the, the amount of anxiety for adults and children. But I think when our parents were younger, there was probably a lot of suppression of of mental health and even like what you were saying about your dad with dyslexia that would have been probably a shame you know he would have probably felt a lot of shame around that which which wasn't necessary but people wouldn't be made to feel stupid or you know like yeah I don't think he was ever even diagnosed it wasn't you know it wasn't a thing that they thought about then even it was just just like oh you can't hold a pencil right or you can't you know there's Mm something you're just not that intelligent like it's it's really cringy when you think about it now that like you said your dad's so entrepreneurial that actually had a gift just perhaps writing wasn't his thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so yeah, definitely think there's been more um, more emphasis on it. Therefore, more children and more adults are relating to the symptoms of anxiety um, than there was previously, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So when you talk about what you do inside my marvels, mm-hmm. what do you think are some of the actionable tips that other people can take away to implement in their lives that you guys teach? So how how can we sort of 
operationalize mindfulness in our everyday life do you think brilliant I love this question because I have so many <laughs> answers but I'll give you I'll give you like three good top tips <laughs> so with mind marvels we work in schools so in nurseries mostly so we deliver sessions well-being sessions in there and we have like five elements to each of our sessions and the top three that I would say are quite important is you, your thinking patterns are really really important so I always think your thoughts are not facts. So when you get a thought in your head, how many times do you think it's a fact or you think, oh, I look horrible today and you, and you act as if that is the 100% truth. That's just your thought. So I always implore you to think my thoughts are not facts. Honestly, it's so life changing when you're having those moments of doubt about anything. It just totally changes how you feel about that situation. And my second tip would be, and again, this is bringing it back to basics. It's just your breath. Your When you breathe, it is like the most transformational thing that you can do in that moment. And whether it's taking, you know, 10 long deep breaths or whether it's just having a little bit of a, a breathe in, breathe out little patterns. So some people use like their hands and do a breathing, sort of tracing around their fingers, breathing in, breathing out. Some people um, do counting breathing, so they'll count in for four, count out for four. Some people will use like circles or shapes in the air just to count and, and go round. So it's really what, what suits you trying to find the best uh, pattern for you and then my third tip would be just um messy progress is still progress that's what I would say I heard this quote a couple of years ago and it really resonated with me and it's something that I tell young people all the time because we will make mistakes we will mess up we will forget to do the breathing we will blow up at people that's normal mm. But it's what we do afterwards that's so important. So if you can apologise, if you can make amends, if you can practice so the next time you feel like that, you don't lash out at someone or you don't see unkind things, then that messy mm -hmm. progress is still progress. <laughs> I love that so much. And I, that rings so true for me in my journey with anxiety because I'm a very impatient person. And so, and so for me, you know, I, I was diagnosed with anxiety when I was about 26, I think, 26, yeah. 27. Um, so it's been, it's been a good six, six, seven years now of trying to grapple with what that looks like. And for me, I've had, you know, CBT and um, analysis, all the kind of standard therapeutic treatments, and they've been incredibly helpful. And as soon as I'm out of the session and get into my everyday life, I forget half of the things that I've been taught. So I have these, you know, coping mechanisms that I'm supposed to employ. And of course, one of the ironic things about anxiety is that when you're in that heightened state, your brain stops functioning properly. You know, your amygdala takes over, fight, fight or freeze, and you you go into whatever your instinctive reaction is unless you take the breath and unless you become mindful and unless you so for me a lot of it has been retrospective action almost you know it's about increasing my self-awareness so that I can look back on a time let's say sometimes it'll be two days ago sometimes it'll be three or four seconds ago where I know that I have been not taking the action I should have been taking and taking exactly the wrong kind of course of action and in that situation 
it's about being able to go, okay, I'm self-aware enough to know that I was in fact having a panic attack or I was in fact, you know, I was really highly strung in that moment and I reacted in a way I wouldn't like to. How can I set reminders for myself? How can I create triggers, you know, reinforce those neural pathways so that next time in that situation, I remember this feeling <laughs> and can course correct. And, and sometimes it works and it's it, like you say, it's messy progress, or at least for me, it has been slow, messy progress. <laughs> and uh, I'm interested to know like what, what for you, as much as you're comfortable sharing of course but what for you is the journey that brought you to have have such an acute interest in this do you have your own personal experience with anxiety that's brought you to to focusing in on this that the people I know who think deeply about anxiety and mental health usually have some experience of it in their own lives so you know if you're comfortable sharing a bit about your story it'd be great to know what brought you here yeah, absolutely. And just to go back to that little point you're making about, you know, having all those tools and techniques and not always going to plan. I find having a big toolkit can be quite overwhelming. So if you can have one or two things you remember, everything else goes by the wayside, then you've got one or two strategies. So don't feel bad. It's perfectly normal. And I think sometimes in Mind Marvel sessions, I'm like, yeah, you can use this tool and this tool. And actually it's like, right, Karen, just let the children have one tool every single <laughs> because that I, makes sense. I feel that overwhelmed too. So yeah, my um but sort of mental health journey has been really interesting. So I like probably like yourself, always had anxiety. I'm a very outgoing person, but I had mm-hmm. real deep, probably social anxiety. Um, and it wasn't until about 27 uh, that I was I was sort of um had a bit of a light bulb moment. I went along to a mindfulness session. They were talking about anxiety. And up until that stage, I had thought that anxiety was something that you had to um, go to a doctor about. You had to be medicated. You had to, you know, have X, Y, Z from the GP. But the more that I read about it, the more I realised how common it was and how often people had anxiety. And it really became this moment in my life where I realised that mindfulness had the power to to really change my thought process. Mm -hmm. So with mindfulness, I'm not actually the type of person that will sit and and do a little five minute meditation. I take more of the practices of mindfulness, like the thought processes, the 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 thinking about how we can't control other people's behavior and when I realized that it was just so pivotal for me because it took away a lot of pressure (laughs) I find that one especially hard that one for me as a complete control freak is is (laughs) the one I have to remind myself of on a daily basis so that I don't just scream at everyone all the time oh totally (laughs) and and it's difficult because again as a teacher as well like you're, you're very like you're you're made to micromanage students all the time. So taking that step back and going, well, I've given them the tools, now it's up to them to embed these was actually mm-hmm. quite a relief for me. And then, of course, coming around to friends and relationships, again, this was really great because you can do, you know, you can have your behaviour, your emotions, but again, it's up to the other person to to come in with, with their side of things. So mm-hmm. it took a lot of pressure off and then it got me thinking, how can I develop this into something that I could take into schools and nurseries myself? I never imagined I'd be an entrepreneur or a business owner. I, I always thought I was going to be a teacher for life, but very quickly realised that um, I didn't quite fit into school. <laughs> okay. 
wasn't wasn't the environment for you wasn't the environment for me and that whole again you're micromanaging students but then you're being micromanaged yourself I found that really difficult so that's where sort of mind marvels came in ran a couple of taster sessions in the school that I was working in and a couple of months later I just said I'm leaving and this is it <laughs> and out, out I went <laughs> into the mind marvels world <laughs> I imagine quite an anxiety-inducing experience. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was horrendous. But um, actually, what I kept coming back to was that I had to try it. Because if mm-hmm. I didn't do it, I would always be thinking, what if, what if? But I, mm-hmm. I was really fortunate, Chantel, that I had supply teaching in the background as well. So I was able to leave the permanent job, but then have supply teaching alongside Mind Marvels for a good couple of years, which was reassuring. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people do is sort of um, build their side hustle, as it were, whilst yeah. they're whilst they're still in, in temporary work or doing some part time work. And I would just so strongly recommend that because I did the exact opposite. I quit my job <laughs> with no plan, no money and loads of debt. <laughs> And just went, oh, I'll start a business. That'll be easy. Um, oh, no anxiety out. there. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. No, I was, um, I mean, the, that's kind of part of my journey really was that I got to a point where I was working in a corporate job, actually very similar to what you just described, where I just hated the the up-down hierarchy. I couldn't bear it. I felt so, so micromanaged and at the same time so responsible. And it was just an absolute, you know, I got to a point where I was so anxious and so horrendously depressed that I couldn't say I couldn't and so I had to leave so it was less of a less of a choice more of a falling off the edge of a cliff um but you know it it did help a great deal of course there's anxiety in being self-employed with no idea how to make money or what you're going to do but for me there was much less in that than in the certainty that I hated I found more anxiety in the certainty I didn't want to be part of than the uncertainty you know, of knowing that there was something exciting potentially on the horizon. So it, everything's hard, right? <laughs> like everything's hard. It's whichever hard you choose, that's the, that's the hard you get. So but it takes a special person to do what me and you did, because mm-hmm. especially what you did, just jump in full force in, because a lot of people, you know, that I, that I was a teacher alongside are still in teaching, still not enjoying it. And they always say when they see me, oh, how did you get out you know what did you do and to me that's so I feel so grateful but I also feel so sad that some people are in jobs that they just don't like because they don't have they can't see the way out me too 100% yeah a lot of the people that come onto the courses I teach about copywriting and how to start a copywriting business are teachers are ex-teachers mm-hmm. um, or teachers who are still in work and desperate to leave it's really interesting I, it's, it's terribly sad that there is such an epidemic of teachers being so miserable at work you know actually that, that was an interesting question because what you said that you obviously found the bureaucracy and the red tape and stuff so such a lot and you wouldn't be connected with the kids because that was what you went as teaching for I assume that is the case for so many teachers what what do you think and this is a huge question, so feel free to uh, <laughs> to think, you know, talk out loud. But what do you think can be done to to help with that? What do you think can be done to kind of reignite the love of teaching and to help teachers really enjoy their work again? Because it feels to me like we're on the edge of a a great exodus of all the brilliant teachers and being left with all the shit ones. 
yeah. or or the ones that are still wanting to leave as well. So yeah. I think we need a whole revolution of the the, the education system. Um, mm-hmm. There needs to be less emphasis on exams and more emphasis again on the well-being. But what what's really sad is when you go into schools, a lot of teachers will say, oh, I don't have time to teach well-being or mindfulness when really it should just be part of the curriculum from mm-hmm. nursery, you know, it, then it becomes as, as important as maths or English or science. Um, but I think we need a big rehaul. We probably need to look at the Finnish education system where children are playing for a lot longer than before they're actually sat down in a classroom and right. really think, does sitting in a classroom work for the majority of our pupils? I, I would probably agree not. <laughs> it's so interesting you hear when you hear parents talking about what they want for their kids you know you, you ask that question what do you want for your kids 99 percent will say they want them to be happy that's it don't care what they are don't care what they do as long as they're happy that's that's the that's the key and yet the social system the education system we have set up does not reflect that wish Absolutely. you know it, it, it reflects the wish that you know all our kids be doctors or all our kids be vets or you know our kids all have a stars at a levels and GCSEs not the wish that they be happy Mm -hmm. and if our education system reflected that that wish that parents have for their children more like you say it seems like that would be a a better class and now like I wouldn't encourage my child to go to university unless he absolutely you know had to for their career both me Mm -hmm. and my partner are self-employed and we both work from from home and I just can't imagine, you know, a, a child wanting to go to uni unless they really desperately wanted to. Of course, you'll support and encourage your children to do what they want. But if they want to be entrepreneurs or start their own business, I'm 100% behind that. <laughs> Absolutely. So I would love to ask you, what has what has been the hardest thing for you so far about entrepreneurship? Because it is, it can be a tough and lonely ride. So what's been the hardest thing for you, do you think? I don't ever switch off. I'm always thinking about business. Even when I'm on a holiday with my phone off, I'm always thinking about business. And I get told off for this, but (laughs) I love it. I can't step away because I get so many great ideas even when I'm switched off. And I I think that's okay. It's just kind of managing it. You know, I try not to be on my phone too much or try to be you know engaged you know you know with my partner at, at the weekends and things trying to do things outside the business but I just love what I do so much that it doesn't feel like work don't get me wrong there's a tasks that you put off and you're like oh can't be bothered doing that but most of the time my creativity is is like you know I'm, I'm, I'm all all cylinders going you know I'm constantly thinking so switching off is, is a difficult one for me right and what have been the best tools, do you think, for you in your own life with coping with anxiety? Great. Um, recently, I started going for a 45-minute walk at lunchtime, and that's really, really helped me. I used to be somebody that would sit in front of the computer for eight or ten hours a day. But actually, <laughs> <laughs> actually, that's been really, really helpful, just having like that little kind of walk each day and, and clearing my mind. I've also, and this is a really good tip that I heard on another podcast, so I'm sharing it along. I heard that when you you can put your iPhone into black and white mode, so there's no colours on the screen. 
So when you do that, you're less likely to, you're not as engaged with your phone because it does, it's not as exciting. So I try it, honestly, listeners try it. It's, it is, it really works um, because it just takes away the whole gimmick of the bright colours and the, so yeah, I would, I would recommend it. <laughs> that is a great idea. I love that. I think our phones are such a constant source of anxiety. Oh. I, I find this such a lot. You know, I, I listen to Glenn and Doyle's podcast. And if you've ever listened to it, we can do no. hard things. It's fantastic. But she was talking about the other day how every time she picks up her phone, it's a portal into all of the world's anxiety. And she's just she's just reaching in and grabbing some. And I, it just that has resonated so much with me. Like I've had to turn my news notifications off. They've been off for years because I can't handle the 24-hour news. I don't watch horror. No, no. <laughs> And, and and every time we look at it, it's you know it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's comparisons with with other people, with how we think we should be living our lives. This constant barrage of anxiety and beating media. So how do you how do you try and manage that in your life? How would you advise you know especially working with young kids? How do you advise parents to help their children manage that in terms of how social media is affecting us? Because this huge source of anxiety social media and phones and technology in general how how do you work with that in your own life and how do you recommend parents help their kids with that it's really difficult again um I don't have a, a great answer um we try to do like like I have a thing where I put the phone downstairs or I put the phone in my bedroom if I'm working but again you have those moments where you go and creep in and get the phone and then half an hour's gone by you're just mind mindlessly <laughs> mindlessly scrolling so I'm probably not the best person to ask but what I do try and do is just have a couple hours away each day where I'm just not focused on the phone but it's a huge distraction and recently I've been putting a few more locks on my phone so that I'm trying not to have it all the notifications pinging all the time I'm really fortunate I don't get many phone calls so um, I'm not I'm not a big phone speaker um, God, no. <laughs> so I I'm don't like, answer mine. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you want to phone me? Can this go in an email instead? <laughs> oh, thank God, yes. I'm glad it's not just me. I really think that's a that's a very common thing for people who with anxiety is the yeah. the unknown phone call. It's fine if someone's planned it, but if someone, particularly a friend that I haven't spoken to for months, <laughs> calls my phone, I just stare at it in horror. You've been and like, my friends. <laughs> I assume some of my friends listen to this. So if, if you're listening, it's not you that I do this to. Um, but it, it just horrifies me. I'll stare at it and be like, why are they doing this to me? Why would they Why would they put me under this pressure? Totally. <laughs> they just want to say hi. It's really <laughs> funny. I've got one friend that when she phones me, she'll like very rarely phone me. When, she fo- when we phone each other, she'll say, it's not an emergency. I just have... <laughs> that's the first thing she'll say when she phones it's just a quick question but yeah I don't think there's a there's a right or wrong answer to this but I think again we have to model that behavior so sometimes you'll go out to a restaurant you'll see a full family sitting with their gadgets on and it's maybe about having that time away and thinking like dinner times or you know tea time is a time when we have our phones placed away so it's just really sort of working out what works best for you and your family but it is something that I actively struggle with and yeah it's a challenge yeah so I'm going to circle back to this uh the slight social anxiety around phone calls because I think this is an interesting question to ask (laughs) ask you um how how do you think that people who have people in their lives 
who are very anxious or who struggle with anxiety, how can you help with that? How can you support people who have anxiety? Because I have my answers to this. You know, I have my ways you can love me. You can text me before you call me and ask if I'm free. And I will tell you. <laughs> I, will, I may lie, but I will tell you. Um, you know, I have those ways that I, I want people in my life to to essentially pander to my anxiety. <laughs> And you know, sometimes you like, oh, it's so selfish, but actually that's self-care. You know, that's that's how you respond best. So if you've got these boundaries, it's actually really helpful. I would say if they're adults, just have that conversation and just say, how best can I support you? Or what can I do to make you feel better? Or if X, Y, Z happens, you know, it's a bit like, unfortunately, you know, when, as we, you know, become a bit older, people pass away and we don't know what to say to the people that are left behind. And something that I do um, is I always, you know, say, you know, I'll text the person and say, you know, I, I don't really know what to say, but I just want you to know that I'm here for you. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like that caveat of you're not saying anything wrong because you don't know what to say, but you're being honest. You don't know mm-hmm. what to say. So again, I would, I use that with people with anxiety as well. You know, I I know you're having a hard time right now, or I understand you're having a hard time. What can I do to help? And I think if they say no or nothing, it's about respecting that, isn't it? And that's difficult. (laughs) I love that. And I I think it, you know, comes back to one of the basic things. Sometimes when we are stressed or anxious or depressed, uh, we're not looking for solutions when we (laughs) talk to people. We're looking for listening or just to have a rant or you know whatever it is you need to sometimes get it out um my, my boyfriend and I recently came up with this uh this this policy for this where it's the earphone emoji or the speakerphone emoji <laughs> it's like the do you want do you want listening or do you want advice <laughs> I, I think this is a great policy like just the two two emojis and you pick one and I think it's a great policy like that question I think that's a really loving question to ask people mm-hmm. in general but especially when people are talking about their mental health is do you want advice or do you just want to do you just want me to listen I love because, that mm-hmm. yeah so often people I think especially when it comes to things like anxiety and depression everyone thinks they're an expert everyone has all the suggestions have you tried just being happier (laughs) have you tried just not worrying so much (laughs) have you tried a a weighted oh yeah (laughs) have you tried yeah have you tried meditation have you tried this have you tried this this herbal homeopathy remedy that my great aunt from Lisbon once he tried so I think that you know that question just in and of itself when it comes to anything with mental health <laughs> is a really loving way of, of kind of letting people know that you're there if they want something but also you can be okay with just holding space absolutely and I think we have to be okay as a nation when not fixing people because anxiety <laughs> yeah. doesn't go away we don't just wake up and go you know what that's all gone and it can hit you at the most random times as well or or when you're really excited for something so your brain doesn't know the difference between you know excitement and fear so yes. instantly you start having those anxious feelings so yeah talk a bit more about that because I think that's a really inter- I've, I've read about that a lot and I absolutely love this phenomenon because the idea that you can trick your brain into thinking you're excited when you're feeling anxious yeah is absolutely. that true and how do people operationalize that it, it is true and it's because the feelings are so similar so if you think about when you're really like as a as a kid at Christmas I used to get so excited that actually by like Christmas morning I was just like I'm done I can't take anymore 
because the excitement <laughs> and the anticipation would be so much that actually it would reach overwhelm and I wouldn't be able to manage my emotions anymore. So mm-hmm. yes, the fear and excitement are, are are similar sensations within the body. And if you imagine, like it's a, it's a bit like when you get surprised versus shocked, you still get that <gasps> feeling, but one's good and one's, you know, not mm-hmm. great. So I talk about, and you touched a bit on the amygdala earlier and the fight, flight, freeze response. So we talk about the amygdala as being like the meerkat inside your brain. So it's kind of the meerkat jumps all the time and we don't know if it's excited or happy or nervous or Mm -hmm. worried. So it's really sweet because you get little like three-year-olds that'll come up and say, Karen, my meerkat's jumping. Like they can recognise that feeling of fear or excitement. They might not really know what's going on, but they know that feeling. And that's so, so powerful. Um, That's amazing. I wish I had that skill. I can't tell you when my meerkat's jumping. (laughs) (laughs) Be surprised or you would, you would be surprised, but... It is, it's so powerful when you become aware of what your brain does and how amazing our brains are and, and what, they, what they're capable of. It's just, it just, it, blo- it literally blows your mind. You're like, yeah. I just don't understand how vast and, you know, expansive we are. I, I think that the teaching kids about the physiological signs of anxiety is just masterful because it's one thing. I, well, I'm not joking when I say I don't know when my meerkat's jumping. Sometimes I think I half the time I realise it's been jumping when it's jumped out of a window and fallen to its death from a five story building. I, I can be very conscious that I've, I've been anxious, but the awareness that I am anxious is often not there because it doesn't reach my brain. So it sits in my body. I get the shaky hands. I get the fit, the feeling sick. I get the um, Heartbeat, heartbeat racing, you know, these physiological, it took me years and years to figure out that those were the same, that the, it was just a physio- physiological manifestation of anxiety. And, and <laughs> exactly, yes, that you're not unwell, that you're not um, angry, stressed, having, having all these other emotions that it can feel like. Mm-hmm. And so I think teaching kids to go, actually, when you, you know, when you feel your heart rate racing, when you feel yourself getting hot and sweaty, when, you know, whatever the, the, the particular symptoms are, to show them that these are just normal signs of either excitement or anxiety, you know, your makeup is jumping. I love that. I'm totally going to start using that in my own life. <laughs> it's great. And, and the thing is, we don't need to know what's about the brain. I keep it really, really simple. There's three animals inside the brain and you know, they all affect each other and it just just keep it really simple, but it's, it's so understandable for young people yeah. and for adults to know as well. So I, I just love it. And this is kind of why I, I started, I've got, um, we've just franchised the business. So we're running kind of mind marvels, kind of mini businesses all over the UK where people come along and, and be self-employed. But why I set this up because I want this to reach as many children as we can and those children Mm -hmm. will eventually grow into adults understand what's going on in their brain and that ripple effect it's just so powerful yeah I couldn't agree more fantastic so I've got one more question for you um that I'm gonna ask I ask everyone at the end of the podcast but before I do I just have one more question about anxiety I think you know you've given us some really great tips and explored a bit more about how to handle it how to handle people who have it in your life what is one really simple thing that people can do if they think they might be struggling with anxiety? They've not been diagnosed, they, this isn't sort of official, but what, where can they go to maybe get some support to find out more 
what's the one simple tip that you give people if they're listening to this and thinking this actually sounds a bit familiar I think maybe I want some help Mm-hmm. Actually, the NHS websites are pretty informative about anxiety and they've got lots of different kind of um, charities on the NHS website that you can be linked to. There's a really great charity called Mind, um, which has lo- mm-hmm. lots of strategies on there. What I would say is start with one place and then kind of research it because it, like you and I know, you get lost in a rabbit hole where people are like, oh, do mindfulness or do breathing or go a walk. And it becomes, we don't do any of it because we start to get that overwhelm. But the biggest tip that I've really um, discovered, and it's been quite recently actually, is that energy or emotions are energy and motions. So if you have lots of pent up anger or or like you said, that like you get the jittery hands or you get like, you know, sweaty or whatever, taking a walk or just physically moving your body there's there's amazing science behind it it's all about um mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you heard of EFT like the tapping and things there's yeah. when we when we physically move our body it, it can allow these negative emotions to shift and it's something that I've been like wow like with the, the young kids we do like buzzy bees where they have to like buzz out with their mouth but actually doing these vibrational sort of fun strategies can help move that stagnant energy so honestly I, I didn't quite believe it until the next time I felt a bit of stress or, or you know a bit of worry and, and I, I did these things just started moving it really did help and I don't always do that like it wasn't something that I initially thought you know when you're angry you don't always think right I'm just going to go a walk now or I'm going to start buzzing around like a bee (laughs) but when you find what works for you stick to it definitely. Fantastic so my final question for you is if you could go back to the start of your entrepreneurial journey what advice would you give yourself? Hmm Um, I've used this quote already, but I'm going to use it again. So messy progress is still progress. I heard it, honestly, been a light bulb moment since I heard Mm -hmm. it a couple of weeks ago, because now what I do is when I have something, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And when I have something ready to put out, I'm like, oh, no, I'll just wait. I need to tweak the font size. I need to know, just get things out that, you know, you can, you'll tweak them as you go anyway. So I'd say messy progress is still progress. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Karen, for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for having where, me. Where can people find you if they want to find out more about My Marvels or if they're interested in looking at franchise? Yeah, absolutely. Really easy. MindMarvels.com or MindMarvelsFranchise.com. And I'm on all social media as MindMarvels. So come and hang out. I'm happy to chat. <laughs> Perfect. And I'll make sure those links and anything else that you want to share with the audience are in the show notes as well. Thank you so thank much, Karen, for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been A Few Choice Words with Karen Gibb and Chantelle Davison.